Hello and welcome to season three of the GFSB Business Podcast. Wow, season three. I can't believe it's already been a year since we launched this project and it feels really good to be back. Thank you to you and all our listeners for joining us on this journey. My name is David Ragliate and when I'm not hosting this podcast for the GFSB, I'm a marketing and communications professional, freelance writer and content strategist. This season, we have some more fantastic guests lined up and as always, I hope you enjoy listening to each episode as much as we enjoy making them. This week, we are joined by a very special guest, the Chief Minister of Gibraltar, the Honourable Fabian Picardo, KCMP. He found a window in his very busy schedule to speak with us just a few days ago. So, Chief Minister, thank you for your time. Uh, I can imagine how busy you are. It's a, it's a particularly a difficult period in the politics of Gibraltar. Yes, no, you just have to watch the news and see that. I'm interested in kind of rewinding the clock. Where did your interest in politics come from? Well, it, it really all began because my, my mother was a very strong matriarch in the family and my My grandmother was very much a woman of the of the left, and I had all of that tradition in my family. Um, and when I was 14 years old, I went to meet Joshua Hassan, who was then Chief Minister of Gibraltar, because I wanted to be a lawyer, and I was having a discussion uh, with him, introduced by my mother, who used to be his secretary, about um, how to study law. Remember, those were the days before the internet, and, and so you couldn't just go online and see what being a lawyer entailed. You had to actually... Uh, do your research. And, and we had in Joshua Hassan uh, somebody who was accessible to everyone in Gibraltar and, and he was willing to meet with me. When, when my mother told me that I wanted to see him, he thought I was my brother, he thought I was older, and he thought I already was a lawyer, not that I was the younger of the four Picardo children and that I wanted to ask him about becoming a lawyer. But having, having met him, um, I soon realized that here was a man who was not just a lawyer, he was also a person who made laws. And it seemed to me that, that if you were going to learn how to argue, then there were two places where argument made sense, in the courts and in the parliament, then the House of Assembly. So I was really taken by the idea of being both a lawyer and a politician. Everybody who knows me knows I enjoy a good argument. Um, and I was really pleased to have understood from Albert Anina, who was then one of my teachers, uh, that you could get paid to argue, something which I really enjoyed and enjoy. So the combination of um, uh, Albert Anino and, uh, and Joshua Hassan inflicted me on our community. <laughs> Do you see that interest in politics among Gibraltar's young people now? Well, I mean, um, I, I see it in some people, um, and, and that's all you need, really. I mean... If you're going to field a team of um, 11 footballers to represent Gibraltar, you need to have 11 really good people that you can select. And that comes from having a league in which you have you know, 60 or 70 people playing. Um, and if you're going to choose a team of 10 people to be a government in Gibraltar um, every four years, then you need to have a few people in each generation who will make up the numbers in the executive committees of the political parties to keep them going. And I, I do think that that is something that we're never going to want for. I think there are young people in each of the generations that I can see coming along, each of whom, whatever their ideology might or might not be, or might or might not become, because as we know, um, ideology is pretty fluid in Gibraltar, 
um, would each make a much better chief minister than I am. And so I'm, I'm convinced that the, the future is bright for uh, Gibraltar. I interviewed um, Jaime Levy for the last season of the podcast, and I asked him why there were so many lawyers in Gibraltar. I ask you a similar question. Yeah. Why are so many of our politicians lawyers? Well, because, because we are trained to do the things that politicians need to do well if we're trained as lawyers. And, and so uh, think of it this way. I mean, I always used to think that Gibraltar had uh, more than enough lawyers. And in my days in Talia, apart from meeting with Joshua Hassan, there were great television series like Crown Court and LA Law that uh, showed you the glamour of the law. Um, these days, I thought there were too many lawyers in Gibraltar. Um, but I heard Kev Kenneth Navas say at the opening of the legal year last Friday that actually we still need more lawyers in Gibraltar, that there are law firms that need more lawyers, there's work that goes undone, lawyers overworking themselves because there aren't enough people to do the job. So we need more lawyers in Gibraltar. Um, and as a result, you have probably more lawyers in Gibraltar, more homegrown lawyers in Gibraltar than you have doctors, more homegrown lawyers than you have accountants. We know that there's a dearth of accountants. Um, and so the reality is that the biggest pool, apart from teachers who are employed in the government and therefore uh, are not so free to take the step into politics without um, having a sabbatical from their work, the biggest pool from which to choose Gibraltar graduates is lawyers. And what does politics entail? Politics entails, as I told you before, arguing and making laws. Who are the best people at arguing? Well, the people that the taxpayer has spent money training in the United Kingdom to argue. Who are the best people to make laws? The people that the taxpayer has spent money sending to the UK to learn how to interpret and write laws. So it shouldn't be unusual that your lawyers want to become uh, politicians and that they have the skill set that the uh, Gibraltarian taxpayer has spent money training them with a scholarship um, on. Actually, lawyers, in my view, although it has become fashionable to attack lawyers in politics, I think lawyers actually bring another quality to politics that others don't bring. So, you know, Peter Caruana, Keith Asopaldi, um, Damon Bossino, Elliot Phillips, uh, on the other side, on my side, um, people as diverse as Gilbert Licudi, Neil Costa, Samantha Sacramento, uh, Stephen Linares, Albadisalan. We're all lawyers. We can have an argument with each other, a very tough argument with each other, and then get on perfectly well at the end of it, because lawyers have the argument as part of the job. Other people, not everyone, some people can do that whatever profession they've been trained in or no profession, but actually a lot of people who are not trained to argue take an argument very personally, and once they've had the argument are unable to have a personal relationship alongside it. Not everyone. Some people can. So um, I think actually that uh, having a large number of lawyers in politics is very good because it brings an objectivity. It brings an ability to understand the legal instruments that are being debated. And it also means that the quality of argument is necessarily higher because we've been trained to argue. Um, so I'm a big defender of the baristocracy, starting from Joshua Hassan down. Great argument. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I think Peter Capano was an 
excellent member of parliament, a superb uh, chief minister in many respects. I mean, remember that just because we're on opposite sides doesn't mean I disagreed with everything. You know, in politics, we pick out the six or seven things that we disagree on, and we really go large on those six or seven things, um, and we ignore the 93 things that we agree on. That's yeah. the nature of the job. Uh, but if you look at Joshua Hassan and you look at Peter Kahwana, I mean, they were superb chief ministers, yeah. uh, and the fact that they're lawyers is a good thing. Joe Bosano was, for me, one of the best chief ministers Gibraltar's ever had, and he didn't need to be trained as a lawyer to, to be a great chief minister. But Joe Bosano is an outstanding person. So it was Bob Belisa who's an outstanding person. So it was Alfa Canepa who's an outstanding person. Um, and you know, I, I ranked myself bottom of all of that league table. But the fact that, that two of our uh, other chief ministers were lawyers, the fact that the three longest-serving chief ministers of Gibraltar our lawyers, myself included, you know, it says something. Let's stop knocking the lawyers and let's stop thinking of what they can do for us. When you have a problem in your life, you don't go around knocking lawyers, you knock on the lawyer's door. The GFSB represents many local businesses. I want to bring some the discussion to some of the challenges local businesses are facing. The million dollar question, how are talks progressing on the deal with the EU? Well, I mean, it's exactly a year since we started um, and we are progressing. And uh, this is probably the toughest um, negotiation that we have been involved in. And I didn't just mean us. I think it's tough for the European Union and for the United Kingdom because the issues are complex. It's tough for Spain as well because you know, they are looking with the European Union at issues which will enable Gibraltar to continue to have a relationship with the EU despite the UK not being there. Um, the UK will have to do the deal uh, but won't be the actor involved in the day-to-day it is devilishly complex. And, and you think of what the European Union was when it was created, and you think of what the European Union is today, and it's grown like a behemoth. Because the minute that you start to say to each other, we're going to create an area of free trade, that means that you have to create an area of common standards. That means that you have to create an area, if you wanted to go further, of free movement of people. And if you want to take free movement of people to mean the establishment right in different member states, and then actually to get rid of of passports for travel between those member states, you're really starting to build and build and build an, an edifice which gets more and more complicated. And Gibraltar, in this, in the context of this deal, is going to plug into those parts of the edifice that is the European Union that we never formed part of before. So if you think of where we were in 2016, we were members of the single market in services, but not the single market in goods. And we were outside of the Schengen free movement area, not in it. Now, from outside the European Union, because what we want to achieve is the fluidity, we've left the EU with the UK, so we're not going back into the EU. What we want to achieve is a deal that preserves fluidity. And fluidity, if you're going to achieve it completely, must also mean fluidity of goods, not just fluidity of people. So we're trying to plug into two of the parts of what is known as the Aki, the, the settlement between the member states, which we never formed part of before, Schengen and goods. So there is a lot of complexity there. Um, the European Union took some time to set out its mandate for negotiation, and then the negotiations began. Um, and, and the fact that we are alive in the game today speaks to success. But of course, look, as they say in politics, Success as many fathers and defeat as an orphan. If, if we succeed in having a treaty which is safe and secure for Gibraltar, then, of course, you know, that will be something very positive.
and it will be down to the negotiating teams on uh, the Gibraltar side, the UK side, the EU side, and, and in no small measure also the Spanish side, who are also involved in, in the European part of this equation. If we fail, the failure will be all mine. What does the term shared prosperity look like in practice? Well, I mean, it, I think it's a, it's a term that people here um, should never be concerned about because you know, Gibraltar has always made the argument under successive chief ministers from Sir Joshua through to Joe Bosano, Peter Cajuana and, and Nami that if Gibraltar and Spain spend less time at each other's throats and we invested that time that we spend in arguing, in working together towards uh, the common goal of economic prosperity in the region, we, there would be so much more prosperity in the region. And so what I see in the context of shared prosperity is that Gibraltar continues to do what it does. We already generate prosperity for the region, not just because 15,000 people who live in Spain come to work in Gibraltar, but because 25% of the GDP of the Campo comes from Gibraltar. And that was the study of the Chamber of Commerce in 2013 or so, at the time when Madagascar was doing his worst to try and dampen the relationship. So imagine what it must be at any moment when you haven't got that sort of difficulty. So the untrammeled existence of Gibraltar as a force for economic good in the region, which arises in principle from the fact that we are British and we have common law jurisdiction attributes in Gibraltar, you can do so much more under the common law, creates a dynamo of wealth for the whole region, which is what creates already today prosperity that can grow even greater if we're working together and all pulling in the same direction. And that is what I see as the opportunity that, uh, that I talk about. Because um, the alternative, of course, is that we continue at loggerheads with each other because the old issues of sovereignty continue to be the key issues for any of the parties. Um, and we use Brexit as an excuse to be nastier to each other rather than using Brexit as an excuse to try and take a step back from the brink that the traditional issues would always bring to us, whilst, of course, not for one moment, changing our position on any of the issues of sovereignty, jurisdictional control. And I think, therefore, um, that joint prosperity can mean, shared prosperity can mean that we create more wealth, not just in Gibraltar, but in the whole region around us, and that Gibraltar prospers even more than it has prospered in its period of membership of the European Union, and that life in Gibraltar and in the region around us, when it comes to interaction with Gibraltar, becomes easier as a result. That's a tall order. You know, people could say, you know, that's really hard. So hard you shouldn't even try. Look, I, I quoted uh, Kennedy in the United Nations because I'm always struck by what Kennedy said in, in, in 62 or 63 about the Apollo moon missions. It was really, really difficult to propose to go to the moon in that decade. And he said, we're proposing to do it, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. What do you expect your chief minister to do in the face of the Brexit referendum? To say, oh shit, this is really difficult. I'm going to bed and let's just see how we get on. Or to be really ambitious and to try and use that moment of potential chaos to deliver greater than ever opportunities for the people that he serves. I think the answer is clear. 
The GFSB is a non-profit organization that helps local businesses start, grow and thrive. Membership costs as little as £60 per year. Sign up now at gfsb.gi. All this talk of a possible prosperity is in stark contrast with when you switch on the news or see what's happening at the moment. With rises in interest rates and the cost of living, what levers does Gibraltar have to be inflation or to fight back? Well, the reality is that Gibraltar has no levers to beat international financial trends. And, and people here should not think that one government or another government would be able to present an alternative financial reality to the people of Gibraltar. I mean, uh, the government is considering very carefully how we can assist homeowners and uh, businesses in the context of the rise in interest rates. We've already taken huge steps to insulate Gibraltarians and residents of Gibraltar from the increased cost of living so that that increased cost of living does not create real hardship. You know, remember that your electricity and water bill, and water in Gibraltar is produced with electricity, as we know, has gone up by 8%. Now, that's perhaps huge in the context of Gibraltar, but it's minimal in the context of how electricity bills are going up in the rest of Europe. So by going up by 8% and saying that's the only increase you will suffer this year, people here moan it's going up 8%, but actually, mate, look, elsewhere in Europe it's going up 50%, 100%. Um, and other governments are having to intervene to cap it at 50%. So we've capped it at 8%, and we're absorbing the additional costs we may have in the cost of production of fuel because of the increased cost of energy. We've increased the benefits that the government pays in respect of welfare and social security pensions, etc. And we've ensured that we provide other protections to people in our economy by capping increases in that way. Now, um, if you think of, of what it's like elsewhere, it's tough everywhere. In Gibraltar, of course it's tough, but it's not as tough as it is anywhere else. That's the advantage that we always have in Gibraltar, that we can somehow make it that little bit easier for our people. So in Gibraltar, for example, you're also seeing that uh, we're continuing the scholarship scheme, we're continuing all of the things that the government of Gibraltar does, which are already extraordinary. I mean, I saw, I saw a budget statement from Ireland a couple of weeks back that said Ireland does a giveaway budget to assist its people to deal with the cost of living crisis. And I thought, my goodness, I've got to catch up with what's happened in Ireland. You know what Ireland have done to help their people with the cost of living crisis? You no longer have to pay for your child's textbook in school. Well, you've never paid for your child's textbook in Gibraltar. In Ireland, 400,000 people will be able to visit their GP without paying as a result of the giveaway budget in Ireland. Well, actually, in Gibraltar, you've never had to pay to see your GP. And Ireland have declared a massive surplus this year as a result of Measures like that. Well, look, the government of Gibraltar will be declaring a massive surplus if we required every parent to pay for the textbooks of their children in school and we required everybody who wanted to go to see their GP in the GHA to pay to see the doctor. So we need to understand how many services the government of Gibraltar continues to provide that are not provided by governments elsewhere in Europe. And at the same time, we are capping your electricity bill and your water bill at 8% this year, where everywhere else it's growing. And at the same time, we're putting up benefits. And at the same time, we're putting up the minimum wage, etc. Which, and by the way, the minimum wage is paid 
by the government much more than it is paid by people in the private sector because when we also buy services from the private sector, if we buy them from people who are paying the minimum wage, we're paying a higher minimum wage ourselves. So we're doing everything we can to assist in that respect, but this is very, very difficult. We've seen how interest rates have jumped and we've seen how the value of the pound tanked in, uh, in the past couple of weeks. You know? uh, those are things happening beyond the reach of the government of Gibraltar. Do you have a message then to those small business owners who might be kind of struggling at the moment? Yes, I mean, my message is that we're doing everything possible to ensure that we continue to put money in the pockets of people who will be their clients, that we continue to do everything possible to keep their electricity bill down. I know that it's gone up 8% and it may sound counterintuitive to say that we're helping, but look, we're helping because it's not going up 50%. It's not going up 100%, which is what's happening to businesses elsewhere in Europe. We are ensuring that we're doing everything possible to make sure that your business can prosper and get through the period through which we are experiencing this turbulence. Look, those businesses likely have had the benefit of beat in the past two years. Those measures have been hugely costly to the public purse. We have paid the salaries of a lot of people's employees. We've paid directly to the business in the second phase of BEAT. We haven't taken your rates for many months. We even forgave and postponed PAA and social insurance in different months. You know, this is probably the smallest economy in the world or one of the smallest economies in the world. And yet we have done so much in the past two and a half years to support our small businesses. And we're still doing it by capping the increases in, in fuel and um, electricity, etc. So, you know, we are doing as much as we can. We are all in this together, and our work is designed to ensure that we emerge from this together stronger. And I would also say, don't listen to the siren calls of those who say that if they had been in government, there would be much more money to throw at small businesses and others today. That's utter nonsense. The idea that the government of Gibraltar has somehow been extravagant in anything it has done in the past is for the birds. It may be easy for opposition politicians to say, but those same opposition politicians sat with me around this table when we had the biggest surplus in the history of Gibraltar, and they agreed with me that we should use those surpluses and that firepower to pay the small businesses and other businesses in Gibraltar who had a problem during COVID to pay their wage bill to ensure that they could survive the COVID pandemic. And as a result, we find ourselves in the situation we're in now. Of course we do. I mean, was it uh, not obvious to everyone when I said that this would get us into a deficit situation, that we would find ourselves in a deficit situation? So stick with us. We're sticking with you. So, Chief Minister, yours must sometimes feel like an impossible job. How does it feel for you? Well, um, I tell you what, uh, anybody who in 2011 was looking at what being Chief Minister of Gibraltar entailed didn't sign up for this. And I tell you more, I don't think that anybody actually really wants my job at the moment. I mean, you may have one or two people who pretend in the context of the local political fray that they would quite like to be Chief Minister. I tell you, um, you know, knowing the characters as I do, and we've all known each other for many years, I don't think anybody wants my job at the moment. 
Um, and I will continue to do my job because it is a privilege and an honor for me to do it because the people of Gibraltar have entrusted me to do it. However hard, however difficult it may become, I wake up every day in order to do my best for the people of Gibraltar. I do things to the best of my ability. I mean, my mother taught me that as long as you've done your best, nobody can reproach that. Um, and my obligation is to try my best every day. She used to tell me, you know, make the good better and the better best. And I hope that that's the the route that I've demonstrated, I always try to follow since the 9th of December 2011. But it's one hell of a tough job, believe me, especially at the moment. With that, with it being so demanding, and again, looking at it almost as this kind of impossible job to do, do you achieve balance? I think I do, because again, as, I, as I've set out to you, um, I try and do my best. And you know, I would only get stressed if I didn't feel I had done my best. I don't get stressed because I get 2,000, 3,000 emails each day. That doesn't stress me out. What stresses me out is if I haven't used every moment when I'm not working on something else to answer the emails or to try and answer the WhatsApps. If by the time we get to you know, 11 o'clock at night or, or midnight, you know, I can't answer anymore. And I've read all the documents I've been able to read in that time, You know, starting at... Uh, at uh, 6.30 in the morning and ending at about midnight 30. You know? If I haven't reached the emails by then, I'm not going to reach them. And the next day, there's going to be another 3,000 and, and all the rest of it. So you know, I, I don't get stressed. I mean, I would get stressed if I stopped at 6 and the emails kept coming in and I didn't bother to even try. If I saw this as a 9 to 5 job and I just did what I did in that time, I would get stressed because I'd know that I could do more and I wasn't doing it. So the, the job is difficult. It's almost impossible on some days. I don't get stressed as a result because I know that I'm doing my best and I am using the time in the best way possible. It's another thing that my legal training um, gave me, another thing that I would use to defend the baristocracy in this job, um, you know, to work every hour that you have available between 6.30 in the morning and midnight and sleep six hours and make sure that you have enough time to wash, eat, and then you don't, uh, you don't have to stress. And, and then, obviously, at the weekend, find some time for your family as well. Hi, Chief Minister. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. So there you have it. Thanks to this week's guest, the Chief Minister of Gibraltar, the Honourable Fabian Picardo, KCMP. And thanks to you also for listening. Hit like, subscribe or follow so you don't miss any future episodes and share on your socials if you enjoyed it. Thanks once again to the Gibraltar International Bank for sponsoring this initiative, to the GFSB team and to Matthew Davies for the sound. See you all again next week. <laughs>